This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hello, Andrew. Three decades into a career filled with hits behind songs fueled with impactful messages, Everclear refuses to let time define them. Having recently released their in-concert album, Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go, and new video for the awesome song and great video, Sing Away, today we're joined by lead singer, songwriter, guitar player, and founder of Everclear, Art Alexakis. So thank you for joining us on the Music Buzz, Art. Welcome. Well, well thank you, boys. Thank you for having me. It's of course. Cool. Before we, I did that intro, we were talking about colonoscopies at the just uh, for all of us. We didn't know what's going on here. We were That's talking it. about old man stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> man, it just last night th- that was a rough one. You want to see pictures of of the polyps they took? Yeah, sure. how many polyps? How many? If you if you don't mind us asking, fifteen. Holy Whoa, crap. dude, that's a lot. When's the last two, time you had one? Five years. Oh wow. Okay, I'm glad I'm going in soon. They took three that time, and. You're supposed to start in your 50s. Now they're saying 40s, right? Yeah. And so my wife's 41. They're trying to get her to go. And I'm yeah. like, just do it, man. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not that. The prep is a drag. Now, I got to ask, how about, did you do the pills? The pills are the best. Yeah. No, I did the old school stuff where Maalox. You got to. Well, it's not Melox. It's something like that where you put the powder yeah. in the Gatorade, uh, and drink eight glasses of it, and then yeah. you drink, then you got to drink a bottle of. Uh, I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do uh, what was it? Magnesium citrate. My mine was easier. Just in case you guys want to try this, you have to take twelve pills twice. No, it's just pills, and then then you don't have to drink that goop. Then you could just, but you got to drink water. You got to drink like three or four waters. And then you do that again, three hours later and you don't have to, I couldn't gag that stuff down. Man. Uh, me like, either, man. I haven't been able to drink Gatorade <laughs> since that 10 years ago when I mixed all that crap in there. So try it next time. We were talking to Wendy Dio the other day and she was talking about all the money that they've put in the Ronnie James Cancer Foundation research stuff. She said they're working on at UCLA, some sort of like, like a mouth swab thing. So you don't even have to freaking do this anymore. Yeah. But you know what, man, I don't have a problem with it. Look, like I said, they took one that was four centimeters, which is big one, that was two centimeters. And then a bunch of little ones out. There was a big one. He goes, I took a really big one out Wow. because it doesn't look like it's pre-cancer, but of course it's right now it's all at the, 
lab right now getting checked out. And it's not that big of a deal. I had two that were precancerous, but it, at some point, almost everybody has one that is, you know, and it's like, so don't get too weirded out about that, even if it is. Man, yeah. you know, I, I with all the stuff and adversity and, and health stuff, you know, as you get older, man, it just gets harder. It just, no matter who you are, it's, it's just harder. And thank God, because of my sobriety and my, where I'm at in my life right now, I just, we're touring constantly. We're doing a hundred shows a year. The younger, younger bands can't do that. They're a bunch of sissies. They can't yeah. do a hundred <laughs> shows a year, you know, sixties. I'm 64 and I played 77 from February 1st until the end of June. Respect them. And I've beaten them as hard as I can still. And I've had two uh, rot rotator cuff surgeries. So, yeah, it's, that's no fun either. Let's not even get started with that. So hang on to your shoulders. When you're you younger, do. you, you're doing road stories about like girls that you've been with. And oh, yeah. Like, and then when you get older, it's just you're talking about, <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Start talking about. We need to start a new yeah. podcast. Basically, the four of us just talking about health issues. Just, you know, just you know what vitamins you're taking, and <laughs> it's like before the gig, I take this vitamin B, this liquid stuff you can get that's like B12, a big couple droppers of it. And bass player and I, it's like, man, I used to pay hundred dollars to feel like that. <laughs> just take a couple of those. And I, I, I was talking to my cardiologist friend the other day, and and apart from the fact that. As artists, we we all kind of get a little weirded out about the fact that images and music and lyrics are being spat out by by AI. Apparently, AI in the medical field, uh, because AI is you know billions of times times smarter than we are, is going to be an asset. It's already. Well, I think AI is going to be an asset in a lot of things in this world, but it but like anything, if you misuse it. That's the likelihood. That's the sense. You know, if 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 you let yourself fall to human frailty, as we all have, uh, and we all do sometimes, um, that's therein lies the rub, right? I mean, you know, people are using it. It's like, have you ever used it? I did it the other day. I said, write a song about this and this and this and this, and I wrote a song. It's pretty good. <laughs> I yeah, gotta, I gotta say, <laughs> I, I would yeah. change like four lines, but how can you not? You know, it, it's like to us, it's anthema, right? It's it's like machines wrong. Um, the next generation is going to be like, what are those old people talking about? This is awesome. Right. I don't have to do my yeah. homework. AI is going to do my homework. <laughs> We were talking about it a little bit, a few years, this has been two or three years ago, I pitched and and, and had a, like a big feature in Rolling Stone about AI songs. And the, the I forget the, the headline was something like AI writes new Nirvana song, right? And so and you can Google and read the story, but, um, and it kicks out a song that sounds like a Nirvana song. And there was a Doors song as well. And somebody else, I forget, but I was telling these guys, like they sounded like it, but it had no soul. You know what I mean? It's like, you listen to it like, yeah, that sounds kind of good, kind of like Nirvana. Yeah, but it has nothing. It there's has still it, something it, missing. It's hollow. Yeah, yeah there's something yeah, it's, about it. It's sorry. a it's a black and white sketch, right? It, it's it's got nothing in it. There's there's no gist to it. You know what a fan did? He said he did a with AI a version of Teen Spirit with wanted to sound like 
Art Alexakis from Everclear singing it. Have you heard it? It's interesting. At times, I could see what it was, what, what where it was going. And at times, it just, it, it, it wasn't really there. It was frightening. It was a little frightening to me. If it's a tool you use constructively and, and uh, ethically and all of that, if, like you say, it becomes the underpainting or the sketch for a song, and it nudges you or inspires you, and you don't just simply take it and rip that piece of digital um, digital stuff off, and you use it, and then you reperform it, and then you build from the sketch. Then I see where you're going with it. I still think it's cheating. Uh, I think so too. How do you think, as an artist, I feel that you can spit out you know, these rather gorgeous fantasial images that are all born of a massive library of, of, of images. Incredible brain. Yeah. Of just so many megabytes, of just of uh, uh, terabytes and gigabytes of, of, yeah. of billions and billions of those of yeah. information. No, I, I get what you're saying. That's why I said nudge. I didn't mean borrow or... You're absolutely right, but you you know as well as I do that's a slippery slope for a lot of people. If two lines from an otherwise flaccid set of lyrics comes out of an AI, do you give them do you give them credit for it though? I don't know. Um, okay, well, just do the John I'm Lennon and, and steal you know steal a couple lines and then pay for it later. <laughs> well, if someone's in the room with me and they come up with a line, I am bound by my craft. To give them credit, absolutely. Well, yeah. Should, yeah. The song. yeah. Um, are we in Nashville? Change a word, get a third. Written by Bill Blassie and and AI. Is AI going to start getting writer writer credits? I think intellectually it would read well if you actually said, you know, the title came from AI. I mean, someone would give you credit for being ethically forward enough to say that. You know, if a good title came from. Speaking of good titles, you guys as a band have got great album titles. You know, I love you. Yeah, you guys are phenomenal. Um, that matters a lot because nothing's, you know, for an art director getting kind of a, a boring. When I went to Capitol in 94, um, we, we we were like the product of a of a bidding war. And people were like, God, it happened so quick for you. I go, man, I've been playing guitar since I was 14. I was 32. Didn't yeah. come quick. And I had built myself up. I had, had my own record label for a while, moved to Portland, started started Everclear was going to be my last band because I was 30 years old, which was yeah, getting up there <laughs> and I'm right. And <laughs> when the labels came after me, I'm like, I want this much money. I want this many firm records. I want touring support. I want three quarters mechanicals. When we hit a um, hundred thousand records, it goes to full mechanicals for the rest of the thing. And they're like, oh, God, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, because I was 32 and I'd seen all my friends over the years get their asses kicked and just destroyed. And I'm like, and I'm, they're like, well, that's great. That's all great. And there was like 27 labels and they're all like, great. And I go, oh, yeah, by the way, I want total creative control over everything. And I get to produce my own records. And so then two left. Uh -oh. two boom, that's left the turd in the punch bowl there. <laughs> boom. It's tossing in the turd, right? Well, that's one way to say it. Thank you for your Midwest. Your Midwest. My hillbillyisms, I'm known for. Dude, I'm half hillbilly. I can get down like that. I'm yeah. half hillbilly, half Greek. Um, but um, did you work with yeah. Tommy Steele? Because that was the Tommy Steele. Yeah, movie. yeah. Well, Tommy, 
Tommy was the head of the art department. I liked Tommy, you know, a lot. I mean, he would, but I didn't, I didn't use Tommy. I used my own guy. Well, honestly, as eclectic, and I like varied. I mean, you talked earlier about the Rush covers. That's a band that, according to the credo and the lyric that Neil once wrote, got to deviate from the norm. And I always loved the fact that as a band, they allowed me to venture into some very, sometimes areas that sort of were unsettling to them because they were so minimal. But the woman crouching in despair on on your, uh, I forget the title of that album. Um, World of um, Noise. Oh, yeah. First record, yeah. I love that. And I, I and I love the the uh the one of the dog in the bedroom because that is just such a perfect reference to you know, welcome to the drama club. Um I mean you can just it's just he, he's looking over to the side. If you can see in the mirror behind the bed, oh there's a, there's a naked woman pulling well oh yeah, 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 yeah. Pulling up her pulling up her pants, not naked, she's got underwear. That's my wife. She's pretty hot. Um yeah. but um the just the idea of the bed welcome to the drama club i mean that's that was a divorce record right and that, yeah yeah and and that was our first record not on a major label so i didn't have a big budget to do that i didn't have any budget really um but that could have and, been a that could have been a hypnosis cover because when you look at presence, well that's big words thank you well that because i loved how um i grew up with hypnosis covers yeah, yeah I, I actually yeah. had I had dinner with Best. Him, at, with Storm twice, and and when you look at presence that that kind of fifties era, mid century family at a table, it's very it's so photojournalistic, even though it's kind of creepy because it's got the obelisk. It's very to me that's a kind of a a storm cover because of the way it's set up. You know, I think it it really works. But your titles, man. I mean, I, I love the slow motion, the, the uh, slow motion daydream. If just that that the vortex of concentric circles from from both Hitchcock and from Rod Serling, you know, there's just something quite. And then sparkle and fade. What a great title, you know. And just knowing that, you know, and that speaks to me because Neil, who Neil Peart, who had some tragedy in his life, yeah, um, oh, very so much tragedy. Yeah, sir. Oh, no kidding. But for him, for him to come back to play with the band after five years and explain to me what he wants to accomplish with Vapor Trails, which was the title, the first title of their first album, he said the one thing he's discovered in life is that we sparkle and we fade. And here you are with, I assume these are, these are ren renderings of you guys, uh, or are these just random? No, those kids? are baby pictures of us. Yes. In, in, yeah, on, yeah. On the front, the sparkle when we're, when we're, you know. That picture in the suit in the middle was when I was um I was at a graduation of nursery school. What they is call preschool now, but we called it nursery school back yeah. in the day. Yep, sure did. I I wore a suit, and this little girl comes up to my mom and goes, "Arthur looks so handsome. He looks like a husband." <laughs> <laughs> wow. He looks like a husband. Nineteen sixty six, boys. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. I got that cover right here. This is signed by you guys because, so I was in college, working college radio at the time in, in a small uh, CMJ reporting station. You guys were actually the first band that I interviewed and got liners from for the station. And the, it was at the Egyptian Room in downtown Indy. Yeah, me and a buddy I, went up and we I remember got, that like, show. Yeah, I got backstage and you guys gave us a couple liners for the station and. 
that was the uh, that was the beginning of my career was working at. And you got old. I know, man. Right? <laughs> All them damn late nights. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Rock and roll, man. So the front is Sparkle, right? That's us as kids. Now the the back picture of the book has the fade part, right? And and it's like me, a shot of me when I had um, I had just shot up like over a half a gram, uh, about thirty cents of, of cocaine. And me and my best friend, and we got on a motorcycle. And we drove through the worst part of Venice, California. This is in 1980, 81. And um, you grew up there? I grew up on the West Side, yeah. Santa Monica, our big hit off that record, our first big hit is a song called Santa Monica, which I, you know, I grew up, I was born in Santa Monica Hospital and grew up in Santa Monica. Off and on, lived in the housing project in Culver City, which is about 10 miles away. Uh, but yeah, I'm a West Side boy. But when we moved back to California uh, in 2010, we wanted to live somewhere warmer. So we live in Pasadena now and love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, beautiful up there. I, yeah. I used to live out in L.A. for 16 years. I, I went for six weeks, stayed for 16 years. But um, just because it, you know, it's, it was in that era when the music business was in its zenith, really. And it was just a good time to be there. But yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, that that's what I talk about when we got signed. In '94, that was the last hurrah of the old school mu music business when money was shooting out of the ground, right? You know, if, I, if you had a successful record, you call up your, I call up my label president, get him on the phone because I was making him money, and I'd be like, you know what, I got to buy my soon-to-be ex-wife a house. Can you uh, front me five hundred? No problem. In my account the next day. <laughs> Those are long gone, aren't they? Long you, gone. For everybody. You bring up a good point. I was watching that little documentary earlier this morning that you guys did. It's like uh, with Matt Penfield hosting, talking yeah. to you. 30th anniversary. And you were referring to it earlier. We had like 30 offers or whatever. And I, I remember thinking when I was watching that earlier, it was like, man, that, that was kind of the end of that. <laughs> it was. Know? Yeah. It was. That was that was a few years before Napster, right? Mm -hmm. That was Napster came out what 98, 99, right? Yeah, 97, 98, yeah. Yeah. And it just like, and I knew then that it was gonna be the end. The way the music industry was acting, like, no, we're just gonna ignore it and and tell people not to use it. And I'm like, you're idiot. <laughs> Good luck. You're idiots. Learn yeah. how to monetize it and how exactly can get paid by it. And for a short while, very short while, that's what happened until the music streaming companies came out and now no one gets paid, but the them and the labels and my other beef, which is, you know, it, it's not lost on us, but when you, when you put out an album, sometimes it's a collection of songs. Sometimes it's technically a work. The wall was a work. Abbey road was a work. You, you really, you needed to get, show the respect to the album and you wanted to immerse yourself in the whole experience. Now people will go and they'll look at the long gray line in iTunes saying, oh, here comes the sun, looks like the popular one. Let's buy that one. And then the rest of the album, they never hear. They don't even... The intention spans are so small now. Instant gratification everywhere you go. Oh, I need to know something, right? 100%, brother. They don't even listen to the whole song now. Younger kids don't even want to watch movies anymore. They're too long. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Can't stay. They're too long. Can't focus on anything that long. this, man. If you can't say it in 15 seconds, they don't want to know about it. And it's 
doing them a disservice for sure. But you said about um, where people's mindsets are at there that, but you know, it's evolving into a way that into a place that is kind of alien to me, you know, and, and it's like, and, and let's, let's acknowledge every generation thinks it's at, at the end, right? We think we're, we've hit in the bottom of, of, of Western civilization. We haven't, but boy, we're starting to see the darkness at the end of the tunnel now. <laughs> Yeah. In Sing Away, you touch on something that has you know, never to the extent that you, the story behind that song um, imparts. But the fact I've long been aware that that, you know, there was a time in, you know, in the 60s, someone would say it, something a little off color about someone. And that might become what you call passive gossip now because it's indelible and it's posted and those words don't go away. And anonymous. And anonymous, yeah. It's a little bit like politicians giving you a, a what, what do they call that, the fake truth or whatever they call it. That stuff sticks with the people that want to hear those words. Mm -hmm. So if someone doesn't like that girl, and that girl is you know, a good girl, but someone says she's not a good girl, um, to the point where they call her a whore, or they say she's been with everybody in the in the school, you you can't argue with that. It it becomes a post that hurts and it sticks to it's indelible. It goes beyond it goes beyond that, man. If you look at some of the stuff that, that bullyism gets, they're actually like people gaining up like you're worthless, you're useless, you should kill yourself. These children are saying these things, and like in the song, and I talk about these victimizing victims. You don't get like that by not by accident. You're not born like that. Right. You you've been victimized. People, the boys, I got raped when I was eight years old, beaten up by teenage boys and raped. You think that they weren't that wasn't done to them? Of course it was. And as an older person, I've I've come to a point in my life where I have to forgive them. I have to forgive those children. Just, this is not anecdotal. This happened. Yeah. No, this happened. Oh my God. This oh, happened. Wow, man. Yeah, man. I'm wait till the I'm I'm starting to write the book in about two months. I it's gonna be a good one. You guys should check it out. Um yeah, there's a lot of stories. I've lived a lot of lives, as as most of us have. I'll have to say that that comes across the the honesty in your voice and in your lyrics are the the first thing that I thought of when I heard Year of the Tiger and Sing Away, and I was listening. It's like the lyrics are in your face and heartfelt, plain spoken, yet they're literate and they're smothered in honesty. And I, I believe that you believe what you're saying. And I find that to be the most important thing about a song to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kudos to you. Because well, I mean, I, I'm sorry for things that you went through to for me to believe what you're saying about whatever situation you're talking about. But man, you're you're sure doing a hell of a job doing it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And well said. I appreciate you saying that. It, it, it's like, as a songwriter, um, get, getting away from the AI thing, you know, and I'm I'm old school when it comes down to it. It's like, you know, I write songs that, like, because a lot of my songs deal with intense personal issues, and they come oftentimes, most of the time, from first person, because I'm, I'm I like, I'm a storyteller. I like storytellers. I like people that tell stories. One of my favorite songs of all time is a song called Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. Oh, 
Oh, it's in my top five. Come on well, now. It's it's yeah. one of the best songs ever written, as far as I'm concerned. No yeah. question. And, and have you ever noticed that time is is malleable, malleable in that song? Absolutely. It's, oh, which is fantastic. And he got and, that from his paint his painting classes. I believe he was taking. One hundred percent. What a guy that went through so much from like the early late fifties busking and the early sixties and the folk thing into the electric blonde on blonde into that era and then into the just fascinating. Um, we have a song called Learning How to Smile that's on our fourth album, which is Songs from American Movie Volume One, Learning How to Smile. That's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And that was inspired by Tinkled Up and Blue. It's just a story of a, a couple of kids just, you know, going through life. One of them does some time for selling acid. Um, the, the other one's doing phone sex. And, you know, it was like a more modern, early 2000 version of that. But they, you know, and it's it's still one of those songs that I'm really proud of that uh, it when people ask me what my favorite songs are, that's one of them. Um, but my point earlier was that I write songs pretty much three ways you know like i'd say about a third of my songs are autobiographical and then i think another third are i take things from my life things i read things i hear or, or know from other people and i create composite characters and i create a story around them and then the other third are songs that i just come up with right that's the right story and if if I if you can't tell which is which, I'm doing my job. Because of how social media has become the preschool and the high school and, and frankly the world's platform for 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 abuse and, and bullying is both political and social. I, I've always enjoyed uh, uh, the observation that the Facebook platform was a weapon. And when I've been doing these 40th anniversary box sets with Rush and the last album, Signals, had a song called The Weapon. To be honest with you, brother, I I, I found Rush um, when uh, uh, 76 and it became my huge, that my favorite band. Even as I got into punk rock and stuff, I was always a Rush fan up until uh, Signals was the last album I bought. It got too keyboardy for me after that you know but um i saw i actually saw them i i saw them on the tour that they did with primus yeah me and my pregnant my pregnant uh girlfriend at the time um i bought tickets that day they went on sale and i went down there and got great tickets um and we watched it and it, it was it was tremendous and I, I it might have been the Presto tour, but it, they had the huge, they had the huge um, inflatable rabbits on stage. That would have been Presto. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That was Presto for sure. Yeah. Anyways, it's just a big monolithic F from Facebook, and it was inspired by the Dennis Miller comment: "Never have lives less lived been so chronicled," um, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> we do social media because we have to. Um, I don't do it. I don't do it personally. You have a background in in art. I mean, did you ever? I mean, I always ask musicians that because you know Bowie did, Lennon did, uh, everybody went to art. Genesis 
went to art school, you know, so. I, I've just always been really creative. I've always, yeah. I grew up in a time when like, when Jimmy Page produced, wrote, yeah. did all that stuff. Neil yeah. Young did everything. You know? yeah, yeah. And that, those, those guys, especially Neil Young and Springsteen and guys like that, their voices of, of them, you know, weren't like, really traditional rock voices no neither was getty by the way um, no <laughs> you know and um i was always drawn to that more so than i mean robert plan is the you know yeah neil is sneaky he gets though. a neil, pass as neil young <laughs> neil young is sneaky because his voice suits his music so much well that and that's what i aspired to you know yeah, yeah. and when yeah. you were talking about albums like Every album I've done to me has been thematic, mm. not yeah. necessarily a a concept record. Yeah, but definitely thematic. And I pulled songs off the record that I wrote and recorded and pissed off the label <laughs> big time because they're Cause like, they didn't "That's a hit song." Didn't. I found the record. I go, "It doesn't fit the record." Yeah, yeah. Mm. it doesn't matter. Really. Look, look at the contract. Right. Remember we signed that contract? <laughs> look at that. Yeah. Remember you were, you were the last yeah, one standing when right. the other 30 went away? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the new live record a little bit. Kind of, that was this is the first live record you guys have done, right? Well, you know what's weird is we did a live record that back in like, I think, 29, 2009, 2010, maybe 2011. Uh, we did a live album for Sony. And they only pressed 20,000 copies of it. And you can't find it anywhere. And it wasn't very, it wasn't really good. It wasn't indicative of what I wanted to do. Um, this album is a big deal to me because it's one show. It's not a bunch of like taken from different shows. Um, it, and it's documented. I'm working on the video for it right now. We It's all videotaped as well. And I, I like it because it shows the difference between uh, our live show and our, our more produced records. That's what I was going like, to comment on. I well, think everything sounds heavier and rocks harder in the live context to me here in these. That's what we grew up with. Always sound heavier live. Produced yeah. and, and the band sound. If you saw, like, first time I saw Rush was on the uh, Farewell to Kings tour. And I had to scalp tickets. And it was a big deal. Saw him. I got tickets in the front row, not uh, of uh, beyond the orchestra pit at the Santa Monica Civic, which I grew up in Santa Monica, so it was a big deal. And saw them with UFO, and it, it was like they were heavy, and it didn't have none of the bells and whistles. It was because that's live was because back then people didn't have tracks or stuff like that if you want augmented stuff you had people come out and play with you you know um now, unless you were the who and they tried to do it a few times till keith moon would just throw the headphones off and well, forget they tried. it well the remember elo in the 70s got accused of like taping their whole show uh but other than that nowadays Everybody uses tracks. Everybody uses rhythm tracks, even vocal well, tracks. To, to Rush's mm -hmm. credit, they just got they, they just got good certain triggers, yes. Um, but they wouldn't just be cues that were playing um, disassociated from their show. They they got good with their feet. 
um getty got with the taurus the taurus pedals yeah yeah you know i'm a rush fan dude i know no i knew when we started using the little moogs and the taurus pedals and stuff like that i saw on that tour that was the farewell the king's tour before they didn't have keyboards on you know and i i actually saw them before opening for ted nugent at the forum um and that was the first time I went and saw them with a friend of mine. And uh, they were just like a power trio, right? Um, but my point is, we've always been more of a punk rock band, guitars, no bells and whistles. And then our our, our recorded records, I because I grew up in the 70s, that's what bands did. You made them more textured, more layers, more dynamic, so that you could listen to it more times and get more stuff out of it. And but live, it's all one or two dimensional, and we still doesn't play with tracks. Our, we have walk on music, which is an intro, a vocal intro to a song, one of our songs, and then we kick into that song. But that's not tracks. We don't play to that. Do you write with an with an ear and an eye towards knowing whether or not you can perform this live, or do you do you write some songs that you know are going to be album only, and and such, you know, such as, as as it will be, you 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 know, you'll never play it live, or or is it all playable live? When well, to cons- me, it's all playable live, but it might change a lot. Like there's a song on our fourth album, "Learning How to Smile," songs from American movie called Annabella's song, which is about my daughter, and I had written it. The original version of that was a rock song, but then for that record, we did a very Frank Sinatra, like we, we got an old arranger who had worked for Mel Torme back in the day, and he did this big orchestral thing that they recorded in Studio A at, at Capitol Records, at Capitol oh, wow. Studios, and it was just a big deal. And I sang to it in the booth, you know, where where uh, Sinatra used to like have sex with multiple women at a time, apparently. Yeah, but I uh, God bless him. Yeah, God bless him. The, the first rock star. But um, you know, I that I still will play that song solo. I'm doing a solo tour in Australia coming up in February, and I always get requests to do that song, and I just mm. play it the way I wrote it, you know? It sure. all starts from somewhere. It all starts with the voice and a guitar for me. And it's still the song, and that's what really matters. Still right? the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you hit the hook. It's going to be the song, but it's fun and I think appropriate to produce some songs more than others. But I don't feel like you have to recreate the album live. I've never felt that. The way you guys approached the material was great, I thought. And I was actually going back and referencing saying, man, guitar sounds a lot heavier now, more pleasing to my ear. On, on on the tunes. Did you guys touch up anything at all? There was three lines where I was off mic that I hit with the same the same live mic in the studio, right? And I hit that. Um very little tuning, very little pro tooling. Um if you listen to it, you can hear sloppy stuff. You can hear word, you know, lines that in every song that aren't perfectly tuned. And and it's real though. It sounds great. It's real. It sounds like a real rock. Sounds like a band. Rock show. And you Come can on, on the crowd. You can hear, you know, glasses clinking and favorite reference points to that 
uh, beautiful imperfection um, with perfection being the enemy of good. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, is the Beatles. I mean, listen to Ringo's foot, for example. You know, it's just it's it's brilliant that they are who they are and were so prolific and so good sounding. And yet, you know, virtual, virtual, virtuosic, virtuosic players, they weren't, you know. Oh. Well, and, and, and any of the albums that I grew up with in the 60s and late 60s and 70s, especially. Mm -hmm. And you listen back to that stuff, even albums that I thought at the time were super produced, like Aerosmith Rocks. Yeah. Your voice notes off. You can hear kicks mm -hmm. missing. Yep. Yeah. Stuff There's like clams that. here and there. It's yeah. rock and roll. Come yeah, on now. Yeah, exactly. It's rock and roll. Sand, you picked the whiskey a go go of all places. You know, the birds, Arthur Lee and Love, The Doors, Frank Zappa, Keep and Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue. You guys are, uh, that's hollowed ground right there to mm -hmm. be rocking in. So. You know, I, I grew up in LA and um, until that show, I'd never played the whiskey. I've been to the whiskey hundreds really? of times. Really? Wow. I really? I had, Friends of mine playing. I saw big bands play there. Um, saw X play there. L.A. punk. Band, oh, wow, cool! Favorite bands of all time. Um, been to great shows there. Been backstage. Got into fistfights backstage. Blacked out, drunk. Had sex with other guys' girlfriends while they were on stage. Did drugs. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> now we're going, boys. But as one as one does. As, hey, when in Rome, right? But yeah, <laughs> now but we're I talking. Never played there for some reason. I played everywhere else, but I had never played there. So when we, it was an underplay when we got offered that show. But I'm like, fuck it, man. Let's just play that show. Let's and if those walls that. could talk, right? All those classic acts. Great place wow. to do a live record. It's bigger than the Roxy and Rainbow or Troubadour. So you've got that going. Yeah, I think the legal, the legal is four seventy five or four fifty. Uh, legal capacity, but um, we put. I knew there was over six hundred. Probably. Yeah. Well, the, the Stones played to three hundred and fifty people at the Elma Combo in Toronto. Which Elma Combo. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Love you, live. Heath almost never got out of there. Yeah, spent his life, the rest of his life there. Whoops. Their live version of of Chuck Berry's uh, "Round and Round" on that is one of my favorites. Oh, that's that's badass. You're on the Love You Live record. Yeah, Love You Live. Yeah. I love it. The too. one at the Elma Combo. Then there was the mm -hmm. one at the arena. One right? side, one side was Elma Combo, but I think they've released that whole thing now. The whole show. The whole show, really? I think I think so. I'm pretty sure. Maybe a couple of years ago. I love rock and roll. I love old school rock and roll. Dave Edmonds, Nick Lowe. I love that stuff. I love I love I love all sorts of music, but my affinity is rock and roll. And I think a lot of it came, and I've heard other people have these kind of epiphanies. It's like, you know, I grew up in a black neighborhood, so I listened to a lot of soul, funk, a lot of rock, you know, uh, and a lot of different things. But for a short period, and like when I was 11 and 12, I was listening to a station in LA called K Earth 101, which was oldies. And it played songs from the 50s and the 60s. And I fell in love at that age with Chuck Berry and Little Richard and um, and all the one-hit wonder great songs that that came out, you know. And, Everly Brothers. Yeah, I love I love those harmonies. I, as I got older, 
well, I grew up with a hillbilly mom, so I I have the Leuven brothers, um, oh. which 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 were kind of a, an influence on we. I stole the title of a band of my band, the Easy Hose, which is kind of a country alternative country record. It, they had a record called Tragic Songs of Life, and I stole that title for that. They also had an album called Satan is Real. <laughs> oh, that's the one I've seen. That's the one that uh with a big like Satan and the guys are like like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah capital. That. Those capital very influential on the burrito brothers for sure. Yeah. Those guys were. What yeah. was the first concert that you went to and paid for your ticket as a fan? Okay. The first concert I went to was when I was eleven in Bakersfield, California. My aunt took me to see Chuck Berry. Oh um, that's cool. Okay. Now Go back to when I was four, 1966. I was at the Venice Clamshell, which is like the band band shell down on the beach that I don't think is there anymore. Um, but they used to have free concerts there. And I went with my brother and my big sister and apparently saw, and I remember vaguely um, s- seeing the doors. I remember... I remember Jim Morrison scared me because he was screaming and jumping around. You know, I was four. But my first concert that I paid for, ditched school, lied to my mom, because that's what we did in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, was a, a concert called the Cal- California Jam. And oh, I remember that. In, yeah. in 75, I just turned 12. It was, it was on that. brother died about three months before my brother died. And his uh-huh. friends took me. He was supposed to take me, but his friends took me. And um, Black Sabbath, ELP, Black Oak, Arkansas, Blackman Turnover Drive. I got my next call coming in, boys. You guys got it. All right. Well, let's wrap. Thank you, Art, for the time. We so appreciate it. It's been a great conversation with you. And best of, best of continued luck to you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you guys, man. You guys are really articulate intelligent and um it's nice not being the oldest guy in the room (laughs) (laughs) congratulations you damn it i'm I'm second though but you're right behind me you're right behind me i might have andy by a couple of years but not you guys (laughs) yeah it's it sucks being 52 man yeah Yeah. 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 i'm looking forward to my 50s i hear they're they're, Uh, yeah yeah dane Dane says they're great oh they're wonderful yeah Take care. See you, boys. So you guys are all older, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient. So have I'm, you guys had your colonoscopies and and I've and had two. Just schedule. Had, just schedule my next one if you guys want to come by go. and say hi. I just <laughs> had my, I had my second one last night, dude. Good. And. Well, I'll tell you what. Make sure I get the double scope. Make sure that they do your throat first. You don't want them using that same scope. It's like, whoa, no, up here first, and then man, yeah. it's, it's, you know what, dude? I've been a touring musician for thirty-five years. I put worse things in my right. Life. <laughs> it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.